I think there's something about Mothership that makes it feel like a new frontier. Sci-fi has not been given its due in role-playing games, I think. Certainly in indie, like artsy sort of role-playing games. So it just feels like so much space to cover that feels not yet done. That feeling of newness is exciting for me. You're listening to The Lost Bay Podcast, a show about indie tabletop role-playing games and the people who make them. I'm Ico. This show exists thanks to the support of its patrons. A big shout-out to Lasse Borley, Richie Singler, to Pop, Matthias, and Chris Kamianieski. Thank you so much, folks, for supporting the show. And really sorry if I mispronounce your names. And if you too want to support The Lost Bay and help the show give voice to amazing TTRPG creators and artists, head to patreon.com slash thelostbay. Today, my guest is Ian Usam, publisher, editor, and writer of Hellbridge. Hellbridge is an anthology book, collection of adventures and articles for the sci-fi horror RPG Mothership. As I release this episode, Hellbridge is going through its last week of crowdfunding on the Kickstarter platform. The book is written by 20 authors that have been coordinated by Ian, who both publishes the book and writes content for it. Ian has already been a guest on the Lost Bay podcast. The first time we spoke about the industry and in particular labor and financial aspects. Today, we will talk about Ian's experience both as an author and as the editor-publisher of Hellbridge. What's like the physical writing routine of yours, do you know? How and where do you write? Some people like to write in the morning, others at night, others whenever it's possible. So what about you? Do you have like a ritual? Um, I think it's just whenever I'm feeling able to do it. My health kind of comes and goes and I need to strike whenever I'm clear headed. My rituals are my trying to feel better rituals. Having a nice cup of tea, having an ice pack nearby for my head, maybe having, you know, just a, a few moments of peace and trying to purge my brain of various maladies before heading into writing. Mm. I write at my desk in my office. I have two monitors set up and I will write into Microsoft OneNote, which is a note-taking program. It's nice because it has lots of tabs that you can break out for different aspects of a project and you can just sort of put floating bricks of text and rearrange them and that kind of thing. And it's really good for jamming out early ideas and, you know, incorporating little like graphical structural things. Sometimes I'll draw out a pamphlet in lines and with boxes and things and like brick, make bricks of potential layout and see like, okay, this section can go here and this section can go here. I really like OneNote for writing. Okay. When you have an idea, how do you work on it? How do you develop it? 
I can really focus only focus on one thing at a time. Okay. So when I have an idea, I spend quite a lot of time in an early development stage creating a foundation of related thoughts and concepts. Even before building out the potential structure or any kind of coherent outline, I open up Excel spreadsheets of movies and video games and books that I've read, played and watched. And I think about them. I just write down ideas and I try and find, you know, okay, I'm writing a sci-fi book about sort of pastoral farming horror, like The Drain. The Drain is a level zero final adventure set in a ravaged farming habitat. Final adventures are typically adventures where each player has a large number of level zero characters, most of whom die during the adventure. So what's a bunch of movies that are sort of along those lines? And then I'll just think about the movie and write down an idea. Are you going to watch the movie again? Are you going back to those sources or... Usually, no. Usually, I'm just sort of letting my mind pull memorable things from an enormous body of media that I have consumed. Because you're a heavy consumer of movies? Yeah. To be honest, recently, I've had less and less time to read and, and watch movies, but I used to watch a lot, so I have a lot of experience to draw from. I don't know. I find myself going back to similar wells of just some of my favorite movies. And sometimes I go to more esoteric, weird things. Did you have any writing experiences before starting writing RPGs? To be honest, not really. I've always enjoyed writing. I think when, you know, I had writing assignments in high school and, and college, I took pleasure in putting a creative spin on an otherwise boring assignment and, you know, trying to twist clever sentences into a generic essay. And I think for a long time, I thought that I wanted to be a writer, but I never quite found the path. Maybe sounds weird, but I've always felt silly whenever I attempted creative writing. And I think that writing for role-playing games feels utilitarian in a way that I feel much less self-conscious, even when I am doing creative writing. You know, even when I'm just writing a paragraph of flowery description, it still feels like there is more of a purpose there. Whereas if I tried to write a short story, I think I would be too embarrassed and I, would, I couldn't do it. Hullbridge is massive. It's over 200 pages, 20 authors, probably all you need to play Mothership for months. It's divided in five chapters, missions, entities, intel, assets and locations. And judging by the size of the project, I can only imagine it has been a gigantic work. How long have you been working all together on the project? We started working on Hull Breach in March, and that's been almost my sole focus for the majority of the year. It sort of started small, started as a zine that just a few people were going to contribute to, and then it snowballed to a over 200-page hardcover book. Let's talk about numbers. 
how many stories or, or settings or adventures? So there are, I think, 28 articles. Articles can take many different shapes and forms. Some of them are actual essays that are about running horror games, running Mothership. There's about 12 complete adventures, which are each effectively, you know, like a short zine in its own right. There are big generators. So there's a generator for weird planets with scary things happening on them. There's a generator for creating slimy corporate handlers who are sort of the face of the corporation that your players are dealing with. So this is, you know, the person who's giving you a doomed job or something. So there's, so there's that kind of stuff, just miscellaneous tools and, and little fun toys that you can drop into your campaign. Like here is one very highly detailed monster, or here is a new corporation and their catalog of equipment. Ian has been publishing for the last two years fun and useful mothership stuff. And I'm regularly blown away by the layout of his books. In the past months, I've been studying the layout of Ian's pamphlets and zines because although he's not a layout artist himself, I can tell that there is a very strong consistency in how information is presented and organized in his zines. It's interesting that you start working or outlining some elements of layout from the beginning. Layout plays such an important role in the books or pamphlets that you have published. So I was wondering how and when do the layout artists come on the projects? I think you, you have to, particularly when you're working in small formats like a pamphlet or like a really short zine. I'm not a layout artist. I have tried to dabble in it and I'm absolutely terrible at it. But I, I have to early on think about the structure of what I'm creating and not just total word count, but you know, what one spread might look like, what I can fit here and there. I have become very, very close friends with two amazing layout designers, Eric Cahill and Meredith Silver, both of whom who I met working on Dissident Whispers back in 2020. Dissident Whispers is an anthology book published in support of the National Bail Fund during the Black Lives Matters protests in 2020. Ian worked in the logistics and organization team of the book. We've talked about it in the first interview we did with Ian in June 2021. Back to Ian talking about Eric K. Hill and Meredith Silver. And they are now two of the people who I collaborate with most frequently. And so we're always, you know, we're friends, we're always chatting. And so over the course of the writing process, there is a building out of plans for layout, aesthetics, touchstones, you know, I'll check in periodically. You know, I think that by the time my manuscript is complete, it is a very close fit for layout and doesn't need a ton of extra trimming to make it work. I don't know if it's a mothership style of, or if it's a Ian Newsome style, because when I read your pamphlets or zines, I find that there's a, yeah, something very consistent in how the information is conveyed in an extremely structured, but also somehow very open way. I think 
the balance I find between open-endedness and useful structure for the game master is where there is room for choice, I leave room. But where there is possibility for an idea, I try to provide it. If you can provide the game master a useful idea, you should. You should not leave blanks for the sake of leaving blanks. I always try to give them a starting point, an idea that they can use optionally. And when I leave a blank, it's more to maybe help the game master understand that this is not something worth preparing for and that they should just present the situation to the players and see what they do. Hmm. That's super interesting. Like in design, I think there's a, a place for white space. And I think that that's important in writing. And I was wondering, who are the artists and when did they they come onto the projects? So early on in the planning of Hull Breach, before we even got into writing, we got sort of a management slash design team together. So that would be me, Matt Umland, who's helping me manage the project. And then our three graphic designers, Meredith Silver, Eric Cahill, and Lone Archivist. And the five of us got together and put together a style guide. And after that, we said, okay, who should we get to illustrate the book? We want a core roster of enough artists to give the book variety, but not so many that it looks chaotic. The artists doing the illustrations for Halbridge are Daniel Vega, Nikolai Fletcher, Joshua Clark, who worked on Orbital Blues, Aleph Wessar, you might know for their Medfan illustrations and zines, and who have interviewed, by the way, and Sejan Rai. It's all on social media that you have created a mood board that was influenced by instruction manuals. Can you talk about that, about the kind of images that you draw inspiration from? Most of it was not my doing. Uh, most of it was the, the designers. The things that we were all excited about were these like industrial catalogs and old software manuals. Okay. There was this one really, really great manual from an old video game that was all in these shades of like pale green. And we just stole that color palette straight up and some of its layout sensibilities. Doing that and, and figuring out what our visual style was going to be for the book was really the first thing we did. And if the book has an identifying theme, it is in its approach to layout and design. I've talked in several occasions with Ian about the importance of playtesting. I can imagine it's an even more crucial step in an anthology work like Halbridge. My final published adventures comes as a result of playtesting experience. I think playtesting is absolutely essential to everything I've ever published. Once I have a minimal comprehensible draft, comprehensible to me, I playtest it. I try to get my writing to the table as soon as is usefully possible. Often I'm just running from barely fleshed out notes. I'll run the game. I'll be taking notes during the game. When I catch a moment, I'll do a debrief with my players mm -hmm. and then I will write down as much as possible. And then critically after the play test, I will try and record as much as humanly possible about what just happened before it escapes into the far reaches of my memory. 
And I think most of the best design that I do comes an hour after running a play test. Okay. It becomes so easy to figure out what decisions I need to make, what areas to focus on. Playtesting always draws things into such sharp clarity. I think it is the most useful tool that I have as a writer. And you have like a pool of players you like to playtest your work with or... I try to vary playtests between running games with my friends and running games with strangers. For every venture I publish, I try to do at least one playtest with each group. Ian writes almost exclusively for Mothership, which you probably know is not only a sci-fi RPG, but a horror game. I wonder what writing and designing for the horror genre does imply. Here is Ian about horror and RPGs. I think that the broadly old school style of playing RPGs just sort of inevitably trends towards horror. I think that dungeon crawling is a fundamentally horrifying experience, even if it, that's not the textual intent of a lot of, you know, deep, more fantasy D&D adjacent role playing games. So for me, running and playing games have always sort of been horror. I think it's hard to have an experience fighting monsters in caves that isn't horror. I think that the horror of that experience is probably the easiest and most immediate emotion to tap into. And I think that it is also maybe the most universal. And I was wondering, how do you set like boundaries to the horror you're writing, you know? Because writing and playing horror is certainly fun, but it can be a very intense experience. So how do you find the limits of the horror you're writing? I don't know. I'm not sure if my horror affects me. I think that it is sort of an empowering experience to be able to put a shape to horror. And I think particularly Mothership, which explores horror themes of economics and horrors that are related to our contemporary experience. So being able to construct those myself, I think is cathartic. I wouldn't say that I, I use writing to work out my own experiences. I think it's a little bit more escapist than that, but it's definitely empowering. The Hellbridge Kickstarter campaign is running until February the 2nd. The campaign is doing super well, proof that the mothership audience is huge. Several stretch goals have already been unlocked, among those an online planet generator and a sci-fi RPG conversion guide to bridge mothership stats and mechanics with other RPG games. On the actual stretch goals, we're, we're doing cool things like we'll be able to print the book in fancier ways. One of the things that I'm excited about, one of our early stretch goals is we'll be able to deboss the cover. It's cool and, and swanky generally, but specifically with our cover where we have this hull breach, you know, that our cover is portraying a, a breach in a ship's hull. We're going to deboss the breach that's looking out into space so that there will be a physical depression in the cover where the ship's hull is bowing out into the vacuum of space. Oh, that's great. If you back Hullbridge, you'll get a second book called Breach of Contract. It's a rather thick, wire-bound collection of mothership, horror, corporate, 
contracts. So actually, this Kickstarter is for two books. So there's Hullbreach, but then there's like a companion book that you can get with it. A companion handbook that we're calling Breach of Contract, full of some pre-gen, but mostly blank sci-fi horror legal contracts that you use at the table as a prop. All those contracts have been written by Emily Weiss, who is also the author of the Mothership Adventure Picket Line Tango. Emily is a real-life attorney, and they bring their legal experience into writing these game props. I think the one that I am most excited about, we're calling it the death indemnity policy. This is a life insurance policy, but what it represents in terms of actual gameplay application is processing of a character's death a way to make that character's death feel meaningful and important and to extend that memory of that character beyond their actual death in the game. And so whenever a character dies in Mothership, the rest of the crew is going through this ritual to make good on the policy. That sounds super cool to me, and it sounds a lot also like an in-game funeral for the character. Once again, your book, Hellbridge, is a proof somehow of how much the mothership community is alive and strong and creative. And that's something that really strikes me. I don't doubt that there are creative and productive and strong communities around other systems and other games. But there's something definitely with the mothership community. I think there's something about mothership that makes it feel like a new frontier you know Mm -hmm. sci-fi has not been given its due in role-playing games i think certainly in indie like artsy sort of role-playing games so it just feels like so much space to cover that feels not yet done that feeling of newness is exciting for me what can we expect are you going to write adventures or some other kind of content i have one idea for an essay that i want to write about different subgenres of sci-fi horror. And there is a system hack of Mothership that I'm very excited to write. I'm calling Manhunt, which is about playing aliens and fighting humans. Oh, that's great. But I want to make sure that it still feels like Mothership. So it is horror from the perspective of an alien, which I think is going to be extremely difficult to Uh, communicate? Because what does that mean? What is it like to be afraid as an entirely different species? But I think it'll be fun to tackle. And it's also about humans as monsters. Yeah, that's exciting. Those disgusting humans. Yeah. I must say, I hope Ian is going to write this system hack. I'm super curious about it, and I could enjoy playing a scared xenomorph fighting human predators invading their natural habitat. Anyway, that was Ian Usam, writer, editor, and publisher of Hullbridge. The Hullbridge Kickstarter campaign is in its final stretch. If you want to back it, just search for Hullbridge Volume 1 on Kickstarter, and I'll add the link to the show notes and on the episode page. You've been listening to The Lost Bay Podcast, a show about indie tabletop role-playing games and the people who make them. It's produced by me, Iko. Editing supervision is by Laura L.A., Music is by Every Eyes. 
This show exists thanks to the contribution of its patrons. If you want to support the show, just head to patreon.com slash thelostbay. If you speak Spanish, or if you want to learn more Spanish while listening to cool TTRPG content, you'd probably like Sesión Cero, a super cool TTRPG Spanish-speaking podcast from Argentina. They mostly do hour-long reviews of indie games, talking about themes, influences, mechanics, and the history behind the design of games. Their episodes culminate with a small demo of the games. I love that podcast format because after you've heard talking about a cool game, you can hear it in action. You can listen to Session Zero on Spotify, YouTube, and Evox, or reach them on Twitter and Instagram at Session Zero Pod. Thanks a lot for listening, and until next time, stay well.